Hello, listeners. Tis the season. That's right. Tis the season. Saggy season, baby. Oh, Scorpios, come back. Y'all done. Boogie, it's the holiday season. Let's go. Holiday, holiday? Like, spend money holidays? Well, if that's what you think of when you think of the, like, birth of our Lord and whatnot. Hey, y'all. Here's a longer episode to enjoy over your holiday break. It's a great time to talk about capitalism. Specifically in this episode, we talk about black buying power and leveraging the black dollar. We also interview our cousin, a young black entrepreneur. Make sure to stick around to hear her business info in the outro. All right, let's get back into it. My pockets are already tight, girl, from I'm trying to do holiday shopping, was trying to do Black Friday shopping. Birthday's coming up. Exactly. So, nice. so little money, so many things to try to spend it on. But you know what? You're a very good Christmas gift shopper. Like you're very thoughtful. Like you think about what it is a person would want or need. Like I really envy that about you. You give the best Christmas gifts ever. Y'all keep saying that. And let me tell you, it puts so much pressure <laughs> on me. Um, you and mom. Yeah, y'all have said that. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Like. <laughs> I just listen, and this year, though, I already know what I'm getting y'all, because I had no idea what to get y'all, so, um, yeah, but um, the process of trying to find, you know, things for y'all was difficult. Um, I do not enjoy holiday shopping, per se. Do you? How do you feel about it? No, I wait till, like, the day before. I'm, like, the antithesis of you. You know, like, you do, like, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all those things. And I literally am like, okay, it's Christmas Eve. What do I need to get people? I like the pressure. I run on it. But as a result, the gifts aren't as thoughtful <laughs> as your gifts are. <laughs> yeah, well, you got the pockets. So I guess you can wait till last minute. I got to <laughs> I gotta get these deals, baby. Um, so I have no other option. But um, yeah, you know, and it's funny because I was um, doing, trying to do some shopping and you know what it, it's same thing that always happens to me mm-hmm. i like when i don't get something from a store i try to look as least suspicious as possible because i'm like <laughs> i start to think oh my gosh do they think i saw something let me check my pockets just to make sure i didn't accidentally uh steal something yes yeah, <laughs> put oh something gosh. in my pockets do you ever do that do you maybe like when I was younger, I tried to be really like, I'm in here. I'm legit. I'm not going to steal anything. I stayed really super visible mm. and everything. Now I don't care. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because like I'm older and I'm like, therefore less suspicious. I'm an old, like, you mm. know, more of an adult black woman now. Yeah. Or if it's just like there are cameras everywhere and people will get that shit on video. So I can be a little mm. more bold. Yeah. No, I hear you. Most of the time, I think, like, you know, I definitely think about being black and, and shopping. Uh, and I'm, I usually wear my leg clothes, which for me is like a hoodie, usually. Mm. And sometimes, especially if it's cold, because I don't usually wear a coat, especially if I'm running in for my car, I leave my hoodie up. Um, but I'm also like, say something. <laughs> uh, but I know that I'm in a place now, but I still like, I'm like, who's watching me? Who's not, especially if I go into a, you know, classier store. But yeah. Um, What other things do you think about or do when you're doing your last minute holiday shopping? 
Well, maybe less so last minute, but like every year we celebrate Kwanzaa. Mm. And like one of the principles is to like economic like uplift and supporting mm. your communities. And one of the um, things we talked about last year as our family was to buy more um, stuff from black businesses. Mm. So that's been something that we've been trying to do. I don't know if we've been doing that well, but definitely trying to support black businesses where we could. Where we could. What about you? Word, yeah. I think I always go for minority-owned period, and because my birthday is so close to it, I try to like um, throw celebrations where I force people who are coming to help me celebrate to have to buy from a minority owned specifically black and specifically small business. How do you force that? For example, uh, last year when I turned 30-30, I had um, folks, it was a quarantine birthday, so I had 10 people there. Lies. Swear, I swear. I feel feel bad for all the people I had to say no to, but (laughs) um, I had them buy their clothes. They had to wear black or something. Um, but they had to buy at least something from a um, small business, something from a um, Black-owned business, and they got extra points if it was from both uh, small and Black-owned business. Look and at so you. They, they, when they came in and stuff, they showed me what they had purchased and where it was from. Look stuff. at so, you. Yeah. Be the change, you know, Nevin. You know, Be we, the change. We out here. Do you ever find find it difficult to find either these black owned businesses or to find particular items that you're looking for. Like one of the reasons I go to black owned businesses is because if I, uh, especially right back in the day, if I was trying to find like a doll or mm. a card or something specific that had black representation, it was like almost impossible to find as well. And so there was like a need beyond just, you know, um, trying to do good for my people but also like that was the only place I, I would find representation yeah it's so interesting I um saw this uh episode or this series on Netflix a while ago called mm-hmm. Trigger Warning by Killer Mike have you seen it I've heard of it it's kind of cool it's kind of mm. awesome it's like unsus- like I didn't suspect that it would be so good one of the things he does in his series is he tries to only Black from black businesses mm. for like maybe three days or I can't remember, um, but it was so hard. Mm. Like he was saying how um, hard it is for the dollar in the black community to stay in the black community before it goes to like another community. And so I was just thinking about that and trying to be more intentional of like buying from black businesses, but it is hard. Um, and so the struggle's real for these black business owners. Yeah. And we spoke to one. We spoke to a black business owner that we both know and love. Mm. Our cousin, Sabrina Martin. And uh, let's hear what she has to say. Yes, let's jump in. Now. Hi, Sabrina. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cousin. What's going on? Um, so I'd like to talk to you about being, you know, a uh, black business owner, a woman business owner, black woman business owner. Okay. <laughs> you better talk about it. <laughs> um, so Nia and I were doing a podcast. This one is on... Uh, it's on like holiday spending and capitalism and, and talking about all these things, but we thought it'd be super beneficial to talk about uh, an entrepreneur ourselves. And we always like to include family. And I immediately thought of you 
flattered. <laughs> One of my favorite people I follow on Instagram, uh, the big boss, of course. Um, so the first thing I do want to ask you is just um, if you could, you know, uh, say your name and how would you describe yourself and talk about your business or businesses? Okay. Well, I am um, Sabrina, but I go by Bree. Everybody knows me as Bree Martin, the queen of the cash app sales. That's what they told me. Um, and I would describe myself as just being... I don't know. Bubbly. Go with the flow. Um, down to earth. Fun. Outgoing. Loud. <laughs> um, and my business is an expression of that too. I feel like I have a little bit of everything for everybody. And affordable. Because that's really what's important. Especially with me being a mother. I understand bills. I understand having to take care of a child. But still wanting to tap into self-care because that's important with mental health. Being able to take care of yourself as well. So I strive to make sure everything in here is affordable and you're not breaking the bank on looking fly. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I heard uh, now you being the queen of cash app sales, what you're selling is clothes. And I've been here a little short bit and seen some of your customers and you seem to have relationships with uh with these folks and I, I i came here it's it's been busy and yeah. not and non-stop can you talk maybe a little bit about the importance of and i know you said um talked about having something for everyone but like the importance about making a connection specifically with your customers is there a specific demographic of your customers that you usually have I feel like it's important to just have a connection with them because that make them come back. Mm. It makes it more personable versus I'm just selling something to get their money. It's more like, okay, she knows me by face and name. It's so many people now that shop that's been shopping with me for years that I I know or I know their kids or they'll come in and I've, you know, oh, I think you had a baby. Hey, girl. Like, it's just, it's a different feeling. It makes it more feel less like work and more tapping into my passion of like I love to be here versus like I'm, I sell clothes and that's just I'm trying to get money it's for me is it, it became deeper than the money the longer I got into it so they come in here they tell me stories they they go through things with my with me being a woman's boutique and me being to re, being able to relate to things it's like a safe haven in here mm. You know, they come in here or I might have seen something they was going through on social media and I let them know I'm here for you. I'm here for your kids. However you need me outside, if you purchasing something, I'm here. This is like they, they safe haven. We talk about everything in here from good, bad, ugly, whatever. So that's really important. And a lot of the people that shop, they've been here. They've been with me for years. I've been at this for five years and I got people that's been with me since day one. So now I didn't got to a point I know a lot of people by name. And I think that just also plays a part in my business that makes them come back. That makes them like, let me go in here and talk to Brie like the girls when you came in here. They had been in here for two hours already from the moment I opened they had been in here. But we were so busy, caught up in just catching up and I haven't seen you Brie. Let me tell you what's going on and oh your birthday coming up. I'm coming out with you like just building that rapport of like, I'm here with y'all. I'm not just 
the boss or this is not just my store. I'm a woman. This is y'all can come here. Y'all can cry in here. We can laugh in here. We can talk in here. We can do whatever. I'm here. It's deeper than selling and fashion. And I'm a woman. I love that. Uh, I part of what I heard you say is uh, what's important to you as a value is not just the money, but the relationship that you build. And I know you previously talked about your experience of being a mother, being a woman. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what made you want to start your own business in the first place? Um, I was really honestly influenced as far as being a business owner by my son's dad. Hmm. Um, my son's dad having studios and, and watching him and his moves and what he built inspired me and, and pushed me, actually. He pushed me in a lot of ways to want it to do this. And over time, I just kind of stuck with it. Um, it really started off as nothing. Really started off as no vendors, not knowing where to start, buying stuff off of Amazon, just reselling to now having over 500 different vendors to choose from, from going from meeting people, driving around Cincinnati in my car, popping my trunk with orders, meeting people in parking lots with my son in the back, to now being able to say I have a storefront that I I was able to bring somebody else in on who also um, is a up-and-coming, like a business, you know, business owner. So just... All of that. And also my son. Just wanting to have more time um, with my baby. Of course, you know, nine to fives, it kind of doesn't allow us to have the flexibility as I have as being my own, um, you know, a business owner. So that was a big thing. And being able to leave something to him. I I want him to be able to have options. He can be like, I can run my mom's uh, store, which is the goal by the time he get older is to have a warehouse. So I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to be better than Fashion Nova. That's my goal. So I want him to be able to have the option of I can run mommy's thing or I can run daddy's studios or I can run daddy's studio uh, properties. I want him to have options and be able to leave something to him that's big. Um, So, yeah, just the people I've, I've been around pushed me to this too. Hmm. Weren't you, you talked about uh, having nothing and, uh, and, and building this from the ground up. Weren't you scared? Weren't, were you nervous? What, what were some of those feelings around that time um, for you? I was very scared, not knowing what it was going to do, hmm. not knowing if it was going to work. But I'm a firm believer of fear and faith can't live in the same household. Hmm. It's either one or the other. You can't have faith, but I'm I'm scared that don't it don't coexist within each other. So it's either you're gonna do it and you're gonna put all your faith into it and you're gonna jump off the porch and you're gonna be like, hands up, whatever happened, it happened. Or you're gonna live in fear and be and you you will never know. You'll never know what happened unless you had at least a faith. So I was scared of shit. For sure. <laughs> I was Definitely like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, what if they don't like what I'm selling? What if I'm stuck with it? What if, what if I never gain a sale? What if I never gain loyal customers? What if this never grows? But the, the doubt wasn't, it wasn't loud. 
it wasn't overpowering the faith of knowing that you got this. I'm curious, are were there any um, uh, surprises that have just popped up to you? Any big ones that you just weren't expecting in starting your um, own business? Surprises? Everything was a surprise because I really never knew what to expect. Mm. So my first, I think my first, hitting my first hundred thousand was, it was a shock. It went from being like making a sale and making a hundred dollars. Okay, that that's lit. That's I, I paid a hundred dollars to I brought in over a hundred thousand dollars in a year by myself with no team. I'm customer service. I'm shipping and handling. I'm in the inventory picker. I'm me by myself. So that I think that was the biggest surprise that was the biggest shocker um out of this whole thing and just knowing my power and not even just off the money but just knowing people have faith in my products in that way they they trust me they trust my business they trust my materials i mean because you gotta think i started off being online so the people don't know what they get they could get you think it's cotton and it turned out to be <laughs> something totally different, you know, and, and they trusted this brand. They trusted me enough to believe in this little kid, this little black girl, mm. to be honest, from the hood. Mm. They, they trusted that and that, and that stood out to me. So everything just been a shock. This has been a shock. My store was a shock. It kind of fell in my lap. My landlords, they are the greatest. Um, we've been in here since July, and we haven't had a dull moment yet. So everything is like, I never know what to expect. But everything that, that, that's been going on has been nothing but positive since I started. I heard you say, right, uh, you were alone. And luckily, you're your resilient, intelligent self and we're, have built an empire from being alone. But I think a lot of people might see that as, um, I don't, I don't want to say a barrier to success, but maybe something that uh, might keep them from reaching uh, a level that they wanted to reach. Um, just from your experience so far, have there been some barriers to your success that have popped up along the way or um, things that you feel like you've had to hurdle? I would just say, with me being by myself, at times can make it hard. Of course, the team can make things run smoother, especially with the load of orders that I can get um, in a day, in a week. So to a certain extent, I have to jump over some things, especially me still being mom, me still having a family, um, balancing real life from my business so in a sense I'm still dealing with things that I have to work out or figure out but I haven't really dealt with nothing too crazy that I feel like oh this has this has brought me down and I don't know if it's because I've been in a place of being down so I don't even let my I don't let nothing 
take me there or I don't even let it consume me to get me to that place. Especially when I'm in here. This is my baby. My business is my baby. I've invested so much into it. This is truly my my heart. So it's kind of like, um, I just feel like I haven't hit any big hurdles where I'm just like, it's a lot going on. So I heard you talk about some of your influences, like you're uh, the father of your son and, and things. And when I think of those kind of people in your life and other things, those seems like people who maybe helped you along the way or were helpful in you being successful today. Are there other things that you point to um, as kind of uh, helping you to be the boss uh, that you are today? I would say another a person that, of course, influences me pushing through would be grandmother. Um, the colors in this is purple because that's grandmother's color. Um, and just knowing what she instilled in me and, and the type of woman she was um, definitely drives this business for sure. It's always like this, this, I have this thought of like, feeling like I have to pay her back even though I can't. But I feel like this is the way that I can, like showing her that, okay, you're not here. And I was, y'all know, I was, I was the baby. I was her baby. Um, I can't pay you back for what you did for me, but I hope this is payback in, in some sense, knowing that everything you instilled and you taught me took and I was able to turn it into to this um off of the tools that she you know she instilled in me you know I was I was raised by old school a real life genuine old school and everybody know grandmother was the backbone everybody lived with grandmother everybody went to grandmother's house she was like the epitome of a real life like family oriented woman I think that drives me too the thought of being able to one day being able to really take care of family um not not even speaking just you know like my mom or nana or yeah i want to be able to because i got 50k let's go on a trip it's so me you know i want to be able to take care of family and my friends and, and they babies it's so much deeper than like stuff for myself I didn't already hit the point of being able to buy stuff for myself. I can buy whatever I want if I wanted to at this point. But I'm not not driven by that. I'm driven by being able to take care of those around me, make sure those around me is straight and they're okay and they're taken care of, their children are taken care of, and that drives the whole the whole thing for me. I get chills listening to her and thinking of, you know, her life's journey and that being our little cuz, but I'm curious what comes up for you uh, when you reflect on that interview. I'm like almost moved to tears. Like I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm just so proud of her. Like she's such a boss. Like I can't believe that's my little cousin. And all the things that, you know, she talked about and like how she built her business from nothing and how she, you know, knows her customers and can sometimes offer therapy to them and 
like know about their kids and how she wants to do something greater, like, right. Something beyond herself. She can buy all the things she wants, but she wants to do something greater. And I just, I love that, that entrepreneurial spirit, but also this like collective wanting to help, wanting to, you know, be there for other people. Like, I'm just so proud. What about you? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, um, yeah, I think I get chills, tears, um, come to my eyes um because she she's out here and uh it's she doesn't have to be right that person that is uh, an entrepreneur but also cares about her patrons an entrepreneur but also cares about the community and uplifting other people and um creating space um and um you know being um a mother a black woman i'm just like like she's a shit bro yeah period like, period. period and that's it that's it that's it on that <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll tell you one thing she'll get my dollar uh yeah she'll get my dollars too we gotta we gotta throw some money that way yeah and our listeners should too yeah for sure <laughs> when i think about like the, the, the contrast and i think about like where i do want to spend my holiday money and in dollars in general like those are the businesses that i, I want to support right um and and not necessarily these big corporations and i think about all the places i also just won't spend my money like places that have been anti-lgbtq plus have been like anti-black um and you know that's a part of my decision making uh when i go out yeah i mean i i think i think so too like when i think about who supports black communities or who has representation of black folks, not just the models and the clothes and the products, but also representation within business. Like who has black minority led businesses, CEOs Hmm. or people that are at the, at the table making the decisions. I think that is super important and so hard to find sometimes. Word. Um, This conversation in general makes me think about just, the power of the black dollar. People be sleeping on it though. <laughs> Period. They do. They do. They do. They 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 forget and underestimate um, how much power there is in the black community and and how far the dollar actually goes. Yeah. Can you tell me more? For sure. So um, when we think about the black dollar, we're one of the things we're basically talking about is black buying power. So what is black buying power? You might ask. And so. Buying power in general is essentially the total personal income of residents that is available for spending after taxes it does not include money that is borrowed or saved from previous years. So um, there's actually a report done that's done yearly by Georgia um, out of the University of Georgia called um, out of the Selig Center for Economic Growth that kind of measures different ethnic groups' buying power. Hmm, interesting. Say more. Well, let me ask you, where do you think... The black dollar, uh, black folks, their buying power ranks among other ethnicities. In dollars or like the number, like number one, number two, number three. We'll go ranking, but there there is a number, a monetary amount that's given. So as as it relates to other racial and ethnic groups. Yep. How much money they spend or how much money they have? Spend number one. Buying power. 
gosh. Oh my gosh. So close. <laughs> so um so according to the University of Georgia in 2020, uh black economic clout basically energized the US um consumer market like never before. Um our actual buying power rose and it rose to 1.6 trillion dollars that's trillion with a t or essentially nine percent of the nation's total uh buying power just give me 10 percent of that (laughs) i would do so much there it is yeah Um, so where do we rank like yeah so we're actually second so we're second it's my second answer there you go um among uh second to um the hispanic market this was what's important to note here is that this the hispanic market was the largest minority market and it expand expanded like super quick like um from basically from an increase um from uh in 20 from 2010 to 2020 their um spending power increased by 87 percent wow so uh they're at 1.9 trillion do we know why or how is it a population growth or is it better economic opportunities and jobs or did it say the university of Georgia, their report uh at least what they're showing for free didn't necessarily (laughs) say that but in general what's important uh is to think about how all these uh racial and ethnic minorities buying power comes together the bigger picture it creates and basically uh the diversification of the u.s consumer market has made um folks and companies have to diversify um and kind of what they're selling and how they sell it that they can no longer just give you this one good that really centers white folks or um only concerns them and that now markets actually have to like specialize and specify just for black folks or just for folks who are latinx and so to me that is a huge takeaway so they have to start tailoring things and so that makes me think about our cousin sabrina and um how she really thinks about who her biggest kind of clients and consumers are being black women and Mm -hmm. how she really tries to build also relationships and rapport with them and and knowing truly who her customer is yeah i think that's that's so cool you know i'm in b school right now and so talking about market segmentation and making sure we're hitting the right market segments, including Black consumers, including Hispanic, Latinx, Latina consumers too. And that's because if you don't, you're missing out that whole pie, right? That whole population. Mm. But I really think a lot of these groups can see through those tactics, like, you know, Black 365, Mm. like that, you know, certain companies will do or having some random, like, radio commercial that sings a jingle that's in like r&b or in spanish just to like try to get your your dollar whereas what sabrina's doing is actually doing the work and mm-hmm. building relationships with con- con- customers and consumers in the community to I- increase um um those customers coming back right, right. so she's doing it well and one of the things i think she says or talks about is like it's bigger than just them right coming back um and when you get corporations that big, it just becomes about getting them to spend their money. Um, but 
one thing I think about is in what you're saying is how companies try to like visibly be like, oh yeah, we like y'all, we support y'all. And actually it's funny because Adidas had come out and basically acknowledged that we wouldn't be basically shit if it wasn't for our black athletes, if it wasn't for black artists, if it wasn't for black employees and black consumers, basically celebrating black excellence. And so that we are. Yeah, I feel like other companies need to do it. But I think about the companies that make missteps, such as like Gucci and Mm. uh, anyone where they like do something with blackface or a monkey with a um, black child. Right. Um, But yeah. Um, Within this conversation, I think about when companies do do that black folks reactions and Mm. so like boycott gucci and these Mm. other things do you remember um this was a little while ago have you ever heard of like um black folks having a blackout when it comes to being a consumer or hashtag buy black yeah totally like i um remember those hashtags and so sometimes people will do it and i i always wondered how effective they were um so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's definitely visible and people can see, you know, what you're doing or what you think is important. But I wonder how effective it is from an economic standpoint, like how much money is really being lost when you pull your dollars away from one segment and then you, you pour it presumably into another, into a black business in this case, you know? Yeah. Well, I think what you, you make me think of is like, well, in order to do it, you got to be committed and have um, solidarity uh, within the community. The message has to get out there. And we've seen social media be a great um, giver of messages and in, in, in social movements. And some of those, I think it's important that we discuss along with those things like hashtag buy black, some of the reasons they were created. So mm. like in, in some instances, they were responses to be like forms of activism and social justice um, in direct response to things like um, the murder of George Floyd Mm -hmm. and also Ahmaud Arbery. Um, So that was, uh, for some folks, their way to be like, hey, no one's valuing enough. The only thing these groups care about is money. Mm -hmm. And so call it a form of not only just investing in black, but also um, activism and boycott in those ways when we think about the ways in which black people can protest right there's other than just marching in the streets it's with our dollar as well amen to that yeah and on that note i just um want to take a moment and say that um we're we were happy to see that ahmaud Arbery's killers were found guilty but we know that that doesn't bring him back and we just want to take a brief moment to um think about and honor his life. And while we know it can never bring him back, we do have levers of social justice and social change. And so what you're talking about right now sounds like this is one of the ways that Black folks and marginalized folks can use their power to wield social social justice and social change for our society. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, there's been some studies that have supported and said that one of the biggest reasons that have created black entrepreneurs stemmed um, 
out of social justice rather than these capitalistic reasons like mm-hmm. the idea that needs weren't getting met or the, or folks weren't being services provided services in the ways that they should and therefore black business was created around that and so to me that's another reason why we should support so that's like black capitalism in a sense right yeah absolutely so this idea that um uh there are these black own businesses and we're supporting them. So essentially, uh, when we talk about black capitalism, um, uh, Bara Darin um, defines black capitalism essentially as a political movement among African-Americans seeking to build wealth through the ownership and development of businesses. Black capitalism has traditionally focused on African-American businesses although some critics and, and activists have also pushed for increased representation of Blacks in corporate America. So I think you talked a little bit about that when you were talking about um, who you will spend your dollar for and who you won't, and seeing representation, who do they employ, those kind of things, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's hard work, right? Like, mm. it's not like we can just, there is there are businesses out there, like, consistently, like the gap and target and and place that you can just go, you have to actively like seek these out. Right. And so I think some of the hard part is like the presence of these places. And then the other hard part, I think what you're saying is it's a way for black folks and entrepreneurs to build wealth. And I think one of the reasons why I was really interested in B school is thinking about what does that mean? How, how can you build wealth that not only helps yourself, like, Sabrina said, but also help the community like she's really trying to do. So was there any of threads of collective like uplift in, in that black capitalist um, definition and it's like roots? Well, so yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Cause I think you'll, you might be surprised what you find. <laughs> and so also I just want to say, cause you talked about a couple of things. One talked about wealth. And so a lot of people quick criticism about, the myth around buying power and how people really push the idea of black buying power is uh, some economists, especially black economists, remind us that buying power is not wealth. And those two things. Amen to that. <laughs> and those two things aren't aren't the same. And so when we think about capitalism, we are, and uh, capitalists, we are going to enter the conversation around wealth. But mm-hmm. also, I just want to re- reiterate the idea that um, black capitalism uh, was this idea that entrepreneurship among black people was seen as a solution to depressed economic conditions. Mm, say more. Um, it's important. It's important that we talk about economic this idea of depressed economic conditions mm. in things like the racial wealth gap. Mm. Right. So, uh, in case listeners you didn't know, um, one hundred seventy-one thousand. The net worth of a typical white family is nearly uh, that is nearly ten times greater than that of a black family, mm. right? And so I'm not going to get too much into the racial wealth gap. I'm sure we'll end up talking about it somewhere else. But I do want to state that right, it exists, mm-hmm. um, and for systemic reasons, policy reasons, some of the things that we've discussed in our previous podcast. When it comes to things like segregation, redlining, job discrimination, um, the the uh, gender pay gaps, and, and all those things, um, we know that gaps in wealth between black and white households reveal the effects of those accumulated inequalities and discrimination 
as well as a difference in power and opportunity um, that can be traced all the way to the beginning of our nation. Mm. I absolutely was a believer, and I think maybe still, we'll see how at the end of this podcast, that Black entrepreneur um, spirit, Black entrepreneurialism helps to build wealth, and maybe it's not collective wealth. Maybe it is individual or familial wealth. Um, So I don't know. Well, you had asked about, you know, underpinnings or the start of of, um, Black capitalism. And when we think about Black capitalism now, when we think about things like the Blackout Day or hashtag buy Black, right? These are seemingly um, in support of Black capitalism and has these social justice kind of um, underpinnings or foundations for Black people. But its actual start uh, of Black capitalism was actually the opposite, mm, was meant to have dun, the opposite dun, effect. Dun. So once again, uh, Bara Darin um, has a book that talks about the racial wealth gap and um, talks about Black capitalism. Uh, within it, she talks about the historical context of Black capitalism and how it was used by presidential candidate. Any guesses? Mm. How old is this article? Uh, presidential candidate Clinton? Nixon? Oh, Nixon! Nixon? Yeah, get it, girl. Well, essentially, he used um, black capitalism um, as a part of his platform. So basically, he urged that uh, more black ownership was needed, more black pride and black power. Um and that this would be a fix uh, for all black woes, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially, uh, this was actually um, uh, deceptive in a vague formula mm-hmm. in that um, black capitalism and his use of it was uh, meant to neutralize some of the black radicals and black power movements that we're pushing to create a different path. So in order to get black votes, um, he talked about black capitalism in this way as if he was like a super supporter of it. Um, But honestly, what it ended up doing was disarming a lot of black uh, radicals and um, kind of empowering white, specifically Southerners, who saw the idea of crime and poverty be a black problem so this was a way to keep blacks over there which Mm. helped them and made them white southerners and and just racist white folks happy but also black folks kind of bought into this idea like yeah this is the way that we will start to accrue wealth is through black capitalism Mm. how did it disarm the social justice folks so people and because people right at this time were being uh, radical and fighting against right the man period and so mm. this kind of was able to separate uh black communities in a way and we, we, when you think about it i see it today right it's the people that are upholding respectability politics uh, and are like why are you going about it this way right. and, 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 and you shouldn't um and you use some of the uh radicalness b- behind movements because people are going to be like well do it this way mm. and here's a way that you can do it it's a whole pull yourself up by the bootstrap everyone gets an equal shot equal chance right but it doesn't address any of the kind of issues 
structural and systemic issues that disadvantage folks. I'm just reminded, is it the Audre Lorde quote, um, the master's soul Ooh. will never dismantle the master's house? You better say it. Is that it? That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And so that will also, and what you're saying makes me think of some of the big criticisms of Black capitalism. But before we get there, I want us to also give know the idea that this wasn't just Nixon that was spewing these ideas, every single president after Nixon, uh, including, and well, I, I hate to say it, but including- <gasps> Don't just say it. Including Obama, right? Oh, so God. this idea- You're and out. Um, this idea, right, that like, listen, uh, if we just get and empower Black entrepreneurship, all these other things- Will come. Will come. Um, and that's not necessarily- so, but I'm having trouble juxtaposing these ideas, right? Because black capitalism definitely sounds like it had roots in oppression and still has um, some underpinnings in oppression and like white supremacist tools mm-hmm. is essentially what you're saying. But I feel like owners and business entrepreneurs like our cousin, for example, is using it really to uplift the community, her community, um, Black women, whatever, however she defines that. And so I'm having trouble sitting with these two ideas in my brain. So what do you, how how would you help me work that out? Yeah, I would say our cousin is a great example of the Black capitalist we'd love to. That was the ideal. She's the goddess, right? That's why she's the boss, right? That's why she's the boss. Um. But, and part of the idea behind black capitalism is that, right, the discrimination that consumers and folks have faced elsewhere in these, like, white central markets, they won't face from uh, black folks who own businesses, uh, and they'll be treated well by them. But that's not always the case, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And actually, Huey Newton argued that black capitalists were more trustworthy than white capitalists, which is one of the reasons, right, we would prefer to shot black right however but he said not necessarily because black capitalists and themselves are nobler but uh they're weaker and poorer because they're still um marginalized from the system of of the white dollar and white power and so honestly when i think about our cousins right in the uh way that her business might look different than a white business um is some of the hardships that are faced with even trying to become a black business. Can we just say, like, she even said, and I think even mentioned her her son's father, like, starting from nothing, mm. right? Like, even that. Like, the fact that you have to start from nothing <laughs> yeah. in a country that you built is fucked up, right? Number one, like, we built the country. We should have all of the things. I was with a friend recently, and she said that no black person should have to pay for anything, but really education in this country, because we've done it all, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've helped to build this country. But specifically, you talked about wealth and the average white household having a hundred and seventy thousand can I tell you what I would do with that money? Right. A hundred and seventy thousand. Yeah. So that means I could loan my kid thirty thousand or forty thousand to start their own business so they don't have to take a loan yep. so that they can have a storefront immediately and not necessarily have to grind so hard day in and day out for years and years and years until they start earning profits. So that in and of itself is a struggle to become a black business entrepreneur. Yes. Right? Period. 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 Respect to her. Yeah. 
Um, absolutely. Uh, Aaron Ross Coleman, um, who's a journalist that covers race and economics, kind of talks about some other hardships mm. for uh, black business owners uh, that they face, including being uh, battered by higher insurance prices, uh, working with investors who are who might be stingy and not giving them money. Uh, they might be pummeled by exclusive supply chains, right, that they don't have access to. Um, uh, they might be impacted more by things such as the recession. Uh, there might be exclusionary regulators. And um, one of the big things that you said is, right, the intergenerational wealth gap mm -hmm. that exists that doesn't allow them to either take chances or risks, right? One thing that took me back by my cousin is she talked about uh, – fear of faith and mm -hmm. not being able to have both because when I think of like branching out and starting something from nothing and building from the ground up, I'd be shit <laughs> terrified shitless. You yeah, know? who's gonna pay your bills and your debt and your tuition bills and all of that. All of that. You got mouths to feed and whatever. It's a it's a big yeah. leap of faith. Yeah. The other thing uh, that Coleman talks about one is that these businesses oftentimes have to they're going to get up against the Amazons and the Walmart. That's right. Right. Who they can pay for cheap labor, mm -hmm. have these access. And so that just makes me think of how our cousin built in that rapport um, with mm -hmm. her um, consumers and clientele um, and building that relationship. Walmart, Amazon, these bigger folks could never do that. Right. Yeah. Nor do they necessarily want to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, black capitalism isn't, um, the end all be all there there are other things and so one of the, another criticisms is that it's not holistic um in that you know entrepreneurship and consumerism can only take us so far and it's not going to necessarily affect the other ways that black neighborhoods are troubled due to things like mass eviction mass incarceration unemployment and and, and all these things black entrepreneurship can't necessarily affect those things, especially if um, white folks are holding power. The biggest part of, to me, that is the takeaway of like where I'm like, because I am, at the end of the day, after this podcast, no matter what, I'm still going to buy black. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. But the biggest thing that makes me go, you know what, there needs to be something else, um, is uh, this idea that even when we do support black folks, right, the money finds its way back to white mm. white people. Because sometimes when we uh, incentivize black entrepreneurship um, through t um, tax incentives or other things, there are bigger companies that are owned by white people, right, that are owning the buildings or property. And they're like, then black people, right, they pay those companies still the rent to do this, the have the stores to do those mm -hmm. things. And so it ends up, back in white folks hands yeah i mean if you watch that netflix um show that i was talking about with uh the trigger warning killer bike mm. he talks about how long the dollar actually stays in the black community and it's not long i think it exchanges hands like maybe maximum three times in the community before it actually goes out to other communities mainly white communities um so yeah like we need to own the buildings we need to right, have the businesses in order for it to stay in the communities. And that's part of, I think, what you're saying with the fallacy of this black capitalism. It doesn't ultimately always help the people that 
it's intended to help or intended to move along because the the dollar doesn't stay in the community long enough to do any good really yeah exactly because at the day at the end of the day it's still capitalism right and how capitalism works is there's winners and there's losers right period period and that's i think that's the period that it's like capitalism will never be the answer (laughs) i think that the shitty part about it honestly is that we have to find a way to function within it until we can change the system and right now it's the only way right that many of us can build wealth such Mm -hmm. as our cousin right Um, such as us man (laughs) oh shit (laughs) (laughs) so so, i'm still waiting on the wealth though yeah yeah so let me ask you yeah so if black capitalism isn't the answer Mm -hmm. right where should i shop (laughs) come these holidays girl where should where should i shop where should our how should our um listeners spend their dollar all that that is a hard question. Do you actually want an answer to it? <laughs> um, because, like, if we're saying, like, right, down with capitalism, that means you need to give your money to those that are, you know, harmed by capitalism, mm-hmm. which is the poor, mm-hmm. right, which is racial and ethnic minority. So donate some money to your local public schools, Um you know, make sure that you are not engaging in policies and practices that hurt mm. black people and hurt minorities and hurt the poor um, and hurt, you know, some rural communities. You got to make sure that what you're eating, what you're buying, all those things don't exploit people. Mm. Right. And that's not just people in the U.S. Mm. It's people all over the world because global capitalism is a thing as well. Mm. So where do you shop? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'll know that there is a there's a good answer for that i think um one thing that came up for me when you were talking was there's a lot of activists on instagram that i follow mm. and they're like especially until we get reparations like just give black people money like y'all white people need to just give black people i'm money. here for that can i give my cash app <laughs> on the podcast uh, yeah but i mean that's partly what we talked about in our paper i'm not Mm going to try to drop our paper we'll talk about it at another time but you know we wrote this paper recently Mm -hmm. on the kind of the intersection of structural racism and poverty Mm -hmm. and poverty is something i don't always think about but certainly intersects very very specifically with racism structural racism at that one of the things that we talk about in the paper is reparations, right? Like, don't tell me how to spend my money. Don't tell me, like, you can only use it in this way. Just give me the money and let me decide what to do with it because we've been harmed for so long. So if I want to take money from reparations and start a business or get education or grow weed in my backyard all damn day, it's my prerogative, (laughs) right? Like, so uh, until we can get reparations, until we can be in a community, in a society that actually doesn't have winners and losers, then don't talk to me. Listeners, when it comes to holiday shopping, this, this is what I say is to buy Black, donate Black, uplift black (laughs) put that on the t-shirt okay period do you have any last advice or words for our listeners no okay that's it that's it it's over
happy Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy New New Year, happy whatever, I don't know. All the, <laughs> all all, the all celebrations. The, all the celebrations. Yes, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye yes. from Kazo. Hey. All right, y'all, y'all already know what it is. Stay bold. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, do you want to give a shout out to your business? You know, you know, you know. <laughs> no. Um, big shout out to Shop AXB. Like I said, we are five years in this thing. We coming up on six years. I hope to make it to 20, 30, 40. Who knows? Um, if y'all are looking for clothing, IG, Shop AXB. Um, website shopaxbtq.com I have everything from small to a 3x come see me come check me out and yeah thank you for having me cousin this was lit